0: Hello, it's Sammy here, and this episode of Fullamish is supported by NordVPN. Now, NordVPN is a way of watching sporting events, TV shows, and films which aren't available where you are by switching your virtual location of your phone, tablet, or laptop to a country which is particularly perfect for those 3pm kickoffs which aren't televised in the UK. And right now, you can get an exclusive discount by going to nordvpn.com slash Not only will you benefit from their already huge discount, but you'll also get an extra four months for free. You can use one account on up to 6 devices also it's completely no risk thanks to Nord's 30-day money back guarantee. So to get that special rate plus 4 free months go to nordvpn.com/fullamish or hit the link in the description of this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fullamish podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, here to look back at a devastating four three loss at Anfield to Liverpool. In perhaps the Whites most impressive performance of the season so far. Try and pick the bones out of that one. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today. And joining me is a man who got to share in person in that agony at Anfield yesterday. Mr. Dan Cook. How you doing, mate?
1: Hi, JC. I'm coping. It's it's not as bad this morning as it was yesterday evening.
0: The drive home, I can't imagine, would have been loads of fun after the, the crushing disappointment of those last five minutes. And of course, the legendary Mr. Farrell Monk taking on secretarial duties today. How you doing, mate?
2: Yeah, all good. Thank you very much, Jack. Hello, Dan. Hello, everyone. Taking over from the OG secretary from the original OG Fulhamish days many years ago
0: so it's always nice it's always nice to bring those days back so uh here we go look there was loads and loads to take from this good bad indifferent we'll look at all of it but before we do so faz you got any three word reviews for us
2: yeah i wanted to start off one with one from instagram because i just made me chuckle and you know we feel it from mike petite 89 which was just i am sad which just made me chuckle and you know we can all (laughs) we can all certainly relate to that um We've also got uh, back onto the good old Twitter. Um, uh, one from a a someone called Farrell Monkey. I can't I can't uh, ignore the fact it got the most likes with really shit endo. Um, I was going to for you, don't
0: you? Like I can't believe you've done this.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it'd be weird just to ignore it. To be honest, I mean, if it got one like, I probably would have said it anyway as well. To be honest. Um, <laughs> We've got Graying Sideburns, who usually puts in a good one with Beaten by Worldies, which I think is a great little nod to to the Scott Parker days, where it seemed to be every single week someone going uh, winning with Worldies. So that's a nice little little uh, um, turnaround there. And finally, I'll finish off with Rich Campbell's Bangers and Dashed, which I think is great.
0: Yeah, just a word for George Cooper's Stop Saving Chat, which really did make <laughs> me giggle yesterday. Uh, a little reference to Trent Alexander Arnold's Naughty Past days. Um, he was absolutely incredible yesterday and then unfortunately one of those games where he was able to step up where it felt in a in a game where none of the liverpool front three really did i mean dan the atmosphere in the ground must have begun from you know the pure elation to absolute devastation it is a really hard one to swallow and yet it did feel like there was plenty of that for fulham fans to be happy about
2: yesterday
1: yeah yeah there was there was and it takes time I think for that perspective to come in, especially when you're at the game. So I'm I'm walking away with my girlfriend after the game, and she's giving you know she's like, "But they did so well. We thought we'd lose by so many." And you know, you've got to be proud after it. I was like, "No, it's zero points. I don't give a toss." That's, That's the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. But like, time heals, and there was so many impressive moments from Fulham against Liverpool at Anfield which is such an amazing thing to say to score three goals in back-to-back games which is ridiculous considering how we've been in front of goal this season there's a lot to take out of it it just it's going to take a bit of time to get over it and I think it's probably good that we're playing so quickly after this because we just need to get back out on a football pitch and try and pick up a win after yesterday I think
0: yeah no I'd agree I mean look Farrell Fulham don't traditionally do well at Anfield. If I'd said to you that we were going to go and score there, score three goals there before anyone kicked a ball on Sunday, I think most people would have been calling for the men in white coats considering how Fulham have played this season. It's incredibly frustrating obviously to lose like that, but you know, you also sometimes have to just sort of doff your cap. To some ridiculous goals as well now there's plenty to pick apart in some of the fouls and i danced on this on twitter the, the foul leading up to the the trent free kick wasn't a hugely significant foul and also there is a question mark over whether there's a foul on bobby decordova reed for the fourth goal we'll come on to both of those kind of decisions but more than that you know sometimes you look i looked at the the alexis McAllister strike about 50 times just, and i was like there's just nothing you can do about that. And, and sometimes it's not your day. And Jurgen Klopp afterwards said, this is a game that a lot of people will remember for a long time. It was a game I imagine that every single neutral loved watching yesterday. That doesn't take away from the pain of a loss as Fulham fans. But also, you know, when you lose to things that are beyond your control, it does maybe less, lessen that pain a little bit in that it's just sometimes I like just hold your hands up.
2: Yeah, and when Jurgen Klopp describes the win as being lucky, then you know the sort of victory and the sort of circumstances that have um, occurred in the game that actually, when you think about it, you take all the worldies out. And, you know, Liverpool were able to create a couple of good chances around that. But the fact that their talismanic winger Mo Salah was kept largely quiet, apart from one shot from a 1-2, which I think was probably offside anyway, then you realise actually Fulham more than enough to get at least a draw or at least a victory there especially since when you consider you know they were winning the game with you know they were leading the game with what 15 minutes to go or something before before you know we did a classic capitulation at at one of the at one of the big teams that we've seen in the last couple of years you know but yeah we've got to take all the positives from it we were never expected to get anything from the game and yeah i thought Fulham played extremely well but you know we're just going to be looking. The one thing that we're going to take from it is the entire time is every single Premier League review that, that those highlights are going to be shown, and it won't actually show how well Fulham played that day. All they'll just be showing is just that McAllister goal and repeat, the Leno own goal and repeat, the uh, Endo goal and repeat. And unfortunately, you know, the Premier League will be, uh, you know, Trent Alexander Arnold might have said, stop saving chat. They're going to start saving that goal. <laughs>
0: I, I might just let you host. This is the best segue of the lot. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> sensational. It was just brilliant. Right. Um, look, I think what I'm kind of getting at, Dan, is that I think this is Fulham's best performance of the season by a country mile. And actually, when you get to that point and you still lost, it's a really difficult thing to, to kind of come to terms with. But generally, in terms of the way that we played in transition, the way that we defended, Anthony Robinson, as Farrell rightly points out, Absolutely sensational yesterday. And, and Salah was kept quiet by a player who has had questions asked of him over his ability, in, you know, both defensively this year and attacking, you know, in, in previous years. He was the best player on the pitch, uh, maybe, maybe aside from Trent. But when you look at the, the way that Fulham set up here, we didn't see William on the left wing. In fact, Awobi started out there and was. Very, very dynamic in that role. Harry Wilson, brilliant on the other flank as well, coming inside. Fulham were just able to control proceedings and allow the game to play out in a manner that kind of suited us. And look, we started really well. Um, obviously, Liverpool scored. And at that point, you go, do this Fulham side now, collapse back in on themselves with the game plan a little bit out the window. It wasn't that at all. It was Fulham going out, looking for the throat, looking for the ability to punch back and doing so in, in some style.
1: Yeah, I think it's the first time definitely in the league this season we've actually put together two good halves of football in one game. Like I think pretty much every game we've played, you look at one half being either considerably better or considerably worse than the other. And it's the first time that I've seen us put together a full 90 minutes plus have attacking potency and defensive resilience in the same game as well, which I think... At times we've been questionable defensively, but it's not been everyone's biggest concern, really, because we're just finding it so difficult, not just to score goals, but to create any sort of meaningful chances in games. And to have done both at Anfield is is huge. And I think that speaks a lot, as you say, to the quality of the performance. As you say with Anthony Robinson, like I mean I would say I, I think he completely pocketed Salah, and I don't think it's the first time he's done it either. I I think he was brilliant against Salah first game of last season as well and he must be a player that Mo Salah now dreads coming up against because it's someone who has got the physical capabilities to keep up with him but also the stamina and the running in him to consistently get beyond his winger as well so for Robinson to affect the game in both halves of the pitch is nuts. I, I, I think that's so impressive and I'm delighted for him because Villa was a stinking performance. Like he had a, <laughs> an absolute horror show and I've always liked him and we know that he's got his problems, but he has been a consistent Premier League performer for us. And so, for me, he almost had sort of his Kenny Tete away at Chelsea esque performance, where he just stood out like he was the one player that stuck their head out and was like, "Right, this is this is me today," which is nuts because we conceded four and our <laughs> left back was our best player. But it's 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 still valid, I think.
0: I, I think the manner of those goals basically justifies any shouts that this was actually a very good defensive performance. It's weird to say that after conceding four, as you say, I, I do think that there's you know something in that. And when you're looking at these things, look. I think Mo Salah just doesn't like coming up against Fulham fullbacks, because if I remember correctly, he actually also once said that Joe Bryan was one of the hardest players he'd ever played against in the Premier League. So maybe he just really struggles against against Fulham for whatever reason that is. But Faz, it was yeah, you know, it was it was good and so good from Robinson in so many ways.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when you think about it, he's actually one of the very few players in this squad whose position is not under threat and there's no there's no disrespect to you know the players on the sideline you know whether it's balotore or castan you can fill on the left left back i think it's just a testament how good anthony robinson has been this season bar that you know as dan said that that performance against against villa and you know what i think he did um definitely what i think he did was better than most do up against Mo Salah is that he showed him absolutely no respect in terms of Bulls were being, you know, Liverpool were trying to find Mo Salah as much as possible. And he was like, you know, I think a lot of players were like, would be, well, I think Mo is really, really quick. So he's probably going to get there first. And he was like, no, I'm definitely having that. I'm quicker than you and I'm going to get there first. And he did that time and time again. I think I saw something up on Twitter that was like, he got 13 um interceptions in one game which is just yeah. an absurd figure and I think it was something like nine or ten more than the next one on the list and you know I think some players would have been intimidated coming up against Mo Salah especially when I mean they kept on mentioning it on 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 the commentary stream that I was watching and on match of the day that people were just waiting for him, waiting for Mo Salah to get his landmark I think 200th goal for Liverpool but no Anthony Robinson yeah. was like nope, not against me son I've got your mark
0: yeah, yeah, I mean, I think this is it. And you know, there are obviously that that way. There was a lot of bets going on this weekend for Salah to score and also be booked, taking off his shirt to celebrate that 200th goal. It might have been a bit cold for that. But, you know, that was that was kind of the feeling generally around all of football and I think you could include Fulham fans in that. There wasn't much expectation, there wasn't much hope going into this game. At Liverpool's record at Anfield this season is pristine. They've won every single game there if I'm not mistaken. And Fulham's away record has been absolutely dreadful. Obviously, the Everton game, the first game of the season, but since then, you know, basically nothing Fulham have picked up on our travels. And so when you kind of put all of that in the context, Marco Silva made some brave calls, Dan. And actually, one of the things that, that I painted into was this, a starting on the left instead of Willian. There was dynamism in that. But, you know, even the commentary stream I was watching, they spoke about and they said, Wow, Willian scored twice against Wolves on, you know, Monday. It's a really bold call to drop him. Be like, a lot of Fulham fans, I think, will be very confused by that. They'll have wanted him on the pitch. I was like, no, 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 no. I think you misread <laughs> this one a little bit, actually. But it was that ability to, to move in transition. And in the middle, it was a little bit dogs of war because Pelinho and Reed were were in there together, snapping away, snapping at ankles. Pereira worked incredibly hard. I don't think he had his best game in a Fulham shirt but his work rate, absolutely unquestionable. And then Fulham were able to utilise the, the kind of parts of the system which are able to hurt Liverpool to get down that left-hand side with Iwobi and Robinson bombing on as well. And everyone was pretty fluid. And actually, I think that as a system and as a setup, that's as good and as right as Marcus Silva's got it this season.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and do you know who I thought played actually a pivotal role in our ability in those transitions was Raul Jimenez yesterday. I actually thought that for him and I said it on the quick take it's not saying much but that felt like his best performance for Fulham by by a fair distance and when you consider that's coming up against van Dijk that's that's impressive. But his ability to drop into that space in the middle of the pitch to then bring in Iwobi and Wilson, I think was, was key. And it's something that, you know, we all know Mitro was exceptional at, and that was such a pivotal part of the way we played. And he's never going to do it as well as he did. But being able to bring our most dangerous and most creative players into play in those two wide men was really important. As you say, I thought Alex Iwobi was superb again. He's, I just, sometimes it's like an intangible thing with him and you can't always maybe define what it is, but I know for a fact we're better Mm -hmm. when he plays. Like they, he just brings something wherever he's played so far this season, be that 10, 8 or out wide. He's now played on both the left and the right. I think he just makes a difference and it's proved to be a really important signing. Like, uh, And I had high hopes for it and he's he's proving that he's he deserves a spot in this team wherever that opens up. As you say with Andreas, I thought again, yeah, industry was, he, he never lacks it, but he he, just, he felt especially sort of up for it. Yesterday, He really put himself about, I still get infuriated by his decision-making and I wonder if there's anything we can do to fix it or it's one of these things we just have to accept. But as like for the first time, we just had a, a potency in the transitions. And as a team, we've said it, Jack, that Fulham looked to be playing more on the counter this season but don't necessarily have the tools to do it. This felt like the lineup that maximized our potency in transition because it's direct it's players who like to pick up the ball and drive forward and that that caused Liverpool a lot of problems especially when you consider the sort of the space that Trent was vacating in that first half, we targeted it, that was part of the game plan, it was exposing that space out wide and behind them. Um, so that, that was great to see and I think that's probably close to our best team, isn't it? And uh, There may be an argument for for seeing how can you drift Alex Iwobi into the 10 slot, I'd like to see it over Pereira in certain games but Away at a big club like Liverpool, having Pereira in the 10 just running everywhere is useful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and Farah, I'll take that onwards a little bit further. Marco Silva is a stubborn man. And in, in many ways, he has earned every right to be the stubborn man and to pick the teams he wants to pick. But I think there have been times this year where you go, maybe we need a slightly different approach to different types of games. And for example, I agree with Dan that I think it's probably our best side. Especially in these kind of games, it probably needs to be slightly different for the Forest game in that we're at home, we'll look to dominate the ball a little bit more. We probably want a little bit more control. But actually, that ability to switch things up is pretty crucial to being able to face up to different challenges in different ways. And look, we are a good side, but there are better sides than us in this league. We're not going to be able to impose ourselves completely and dominate the ball in every game in the way that we were in the Championship. We're in the way that we are against lower half teams in the Premier League. And so just to be able to adapt a little bit, there's not loads of changes that need to be made there. To be able to adapt a little bit to just maximize the potential of that transitional ability, but also to make sure that we're matching up to these teams and being able to get people back behind the ball when we need to, felt like a step in the right direction, I think.
2: Absolutely. And I think you raised like a few good points there, but but also like, you know, the forest game on Wednesday will be a totally different test to the one. That they faced yesterday. And obviously, yeah, we're going to get a lot a lot more of the ball. And I think as we, as we all know, we're not particularly that good at breaking down a team who are going to be a sitting a bit more defensively. I'm not saying that Steve Cooper's Forest will be sitting defensively the whole time, but we will there'll be times where we we'll have to break them down. And what gave me a lot of promise on the back of that, and I don't think we've seen it that much, is we've now got that right-sided sort of trifecta between. Kenny Tete, Harry Wilson and Harrison Reed back, which I don't think we've seen yet this season and we know how effective they are at sort of like teasing fullbacks and wingers around just to create, create a nice little crossing opportunity to get get the ball into the box. Because, you know, as we know, probably our best crosser of the ball is, is Kenny Tete. So, you know, that is a potent little outlet that that we can utilise on, on Wednesday night. And whether I think that... We might revert to seeing Timothy Castagni. We might do because what I've seen of his crossing ability is actually pretty good so far this year. And I think he's got a lot of quality on the ball. And it's just great the fact that Kenny Tete is literally straight back into the team and showing exactly what he can do on and off the ball is really good to see. And it's just another option that Marco, that the stubborn Marco Silva can, can utilize.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, this is a, a big period of games, Dan, right? Like, we have a lot of games in quick succession throughout the Christmas period. Everyone does, so I'm not, I'm not shouting woe is me here. But it <laughs> is one of those things where rotation is pretty key here. Obviously, Kenny Tete's worked his way back from injury. He was brilliant against Liverpool. But the last thing that Fulham need is Kenny Tete being out for an extended period of time. So maybe Castagna does come back in against Forest and just changes things up and allows us to be able to mix things up and also, you know, Tom Kearney comes on here. He sets up the goal for Bobby Deckard over reed also off the bench, substitutes, combining. Having that ability to change a game and utilize what you've got on your bench for the better is amazing because we've seen so little of it, especially with, you know, the strikers rotating at the end of games recently, where things haven't changed when they've come on. To be able to bring on William, Tom Kearney, Bobby Deckard over reed and actually utilize them in a way that then sets their skills up as the game breaks down a little bit was, was really useful. And, and that has to be seen when there is those rotations and players coming in and out of the team. Kenny, man of the match on Monday night, doesn't start here against Liverpool. Probably the correct decision. Willian scores twice on Monday night, doesn't start here against Liverpool. Probably the correct decision. But that depth is important, especially in a run of games like this.
1: It is and it's something we didn't have last season. It felt like we couldn't really change games, especially off the bench, and it didn't feel like we could trust in our rotational options. Whereas I think maybe we have a less defined starting 11 this season, but which, which, you know, is can, can be detrimental, but. The fact that when you start to hit periods like the Christmas break, where the the fixtures build up, we're going to need to utilize that, and that's I think was our downfall last season is we couldn't cope with injuries or suspensions or chained gap matches, sort of chained together, which proved difficult on on legs. So I think that's important. I, I think with TC, it's just ridiculous that I I genuinely don't know what situation I don't want him coming on in. Like you, you think of what he's good at, and you are like, right, we are trying to hold on to a lead here. We need to be as sort of safe in possession as possible. Who's going to keep a hold of the ball? Well, Tom Kearney, no one holds on to the ball better than Tom Kearney does. And then you think, oh, we need a goal. We need to unlock a defence. Well, I don't think anyone unlocks defences better than Tom Kearney does. Like he's, It's wonderful to see. And as you say, I thought it was entirely the right decision to leave him out against Liverpool, but perfect to bring him on for as that game sort of got stretched as we were looking to be sort of retain possession better. TC's your perfect man. And I think I would like to see him against Forrest. I think Faz says that not sure how Forrest are going to set up. I can't imagine they'll come at us kamikaze. I think think we remember the result against them last season. and, And they are a team that isn't really going to come at us, especially away from home. They struggle. Away from the city ground, and actually, I was surprised they lost at home to Everton because that's where they bank on picking up most of their points. So, if they're going to sit deep, I'd love to see TC come in and, and try and unpick them. And I don't know. I don't know what you think, Jack, about about that left flank because I, I, I think Willian's got to do something coming off the bench to actually win prove that back. he deserves to be back in this. Yeah, yeah, I, I really do, and I can't drop Alex Iwobi. I, I, I There's I, like he's got to be in this starting eleven.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, we're going to come on to Forest properly in part two, so I'm I'm going to park that for a minute, but we will come back (laughs) to that question. I mean, there is, you know, a couple of questions, I suppose, Farrell, in that I was looking at, you know, the four goals. Obviously, all of them come from outside the box. One of them might be an own goal. I'm I'm not still 100% sure how to completely come to that conclusion. I think the ball is probably going in, but it, it is what it is. Is there any question marks over the ability that Liverpool, or the, or the gaps that Liverpool found themselves with that ability to shoot? Now, Darwin is a player that stretches defences. He gets in behind, he looks to, you know, make you backpedal. Is there a little bit of a worry that those gaps opened up? Now, obviously you can't control, and we said at the top, you know, when the strike is of the quality of that, of McAllister or of that first Trent Alexander free kick, fine. But especially for the two late goals, there does seem to be openings on the edge of the box that Fulham maybe could have found a way to shut down in a in a more complete way. And I didn't want to get massively into the negatives because I think it was a good performance, but I think it's worth addressing.
2: Yeah, and you would think, considering in that hole, you have Harrison Reid and Jalpollini, two of the most industrious, hard tackling midfielders in you know in the Premier League, effectively, you would think that we'd be better in that position. But when you watching the game, and I haven't watched a lot of Liverpool this season, I've got to be honest, but it, it looks like they were set up to exploit that area quite a lot, especially with players coming in from the centre. Sorry, players dribbling with the ball from the wide in field, and then doing that one-two with a centre midfielder over the over the top of our of our backline. And although only once it resulted in a shot on shot on target. Um, there were multiple times that they probably and probably uh, could have done better with that. The amount of times like we were just not reading it, and uh, they were able to you know pick up that ball inside our box uh, with only Burnt Leno a- ahead of them. Now a few, a few times it went a bit too long. A couple of times it went to it went to Leno, but it was happening quite a lot. But you know that's not just down to excellent movement, but it's also down to our midfielders having to sort of read that and and try and cut that out. And, you know, and it's indicative of the whole McAllister goal where, yeah, it's an unbelievable strike, but Paulinho seems to be really distracted with, I think it's Gravenbach, um, who's actually to his left and he sort of goes towards him as opposed to going towards um, McAllister. So I think, you know, that's something that Fulham certainly need to work on, but it's, you know, they Liverpool saw an opportunity and they obviously worked on it and saw it as our weakness because, you know, we're probably sick of other teams just trying to hit it over our fullbacks each time they have decided to, to mix it up a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I'm sure that the, I'm sure that this it's not really an area that Nottingham Forest are going to start attacking us with. They, you know, they don't necessarily, they're not really set up that way. You know, Chris Wood isn't going to start, um, you know, uh, getting beyond our back line and finding little pockets of area in the box to, to have shooting opportunities. So um, I'm sure that Fulham will probably wipe that one off as like that's their quality, they they showed it, but you know, I think we've got more than enough defensively to sort of like snuff out that area.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's an element of sort of calculated sort of risk in this yeah. almost. Fulham Fulham have have looked at the way that, that Liverpool line up and and the the obvious pace that they've got in behind in that front three and also the ability to cut inside off the flank and for the most part, we did really well in snuffing that out, but we had to drop deep in order to prevent that from happening. And obviously, I think that's the, the part where, where would you rather Liverpool have their chance from 20, 25 yards out or Mo Salah from 12 yards out? And we did really well to prevent Liverpool creating those situations. Should you be trying to get out quicker? Yes. Do you expect them to score all of those four goals? No. And so I, I, I think we are partially to blame but it was a, a sort of risk there was like a mitigated risk in there and we, we were trying to defend in the way that we thought best and it was the best option we've got to get out quicker but I think most games none of those like one of those goals happens maybe two <laughs> like yeah all yeah. four it's it's just it's like that, that's not a game plan issue I think that is just a quality thing and you look at the players that Liverpool have got and actually the, the four players or well, the three players who got the goal you could add on another three players in their squad who are capable of scoring those goals as well so like they are stacked with, with the talent and how many players do we have who we could say could have scored any of those goals yesterday not many bring back Harry, uh,
2: Harry Arter he would have put all of those top bins
0: <laughs> yeah exactly exactly classic right after the break we're going to be looking forward to Nottingham Forest and answering a few of your questions don't go anywhere Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Jack Collins here with Dan Cook and Farrell Monk. And there's no time to sort of mourn this loss because Fulham are back in action Wednesday night against Nottingham Forest. Now, things aren't going brilliantly for Forest. They've got one win in 10 in the Premier League. They lost at home to Everton at the weekend to a chorus of boos from the city ground. And Forest fans are starting to get a little bit antsy about where they are in the table this season and how the club haven't been able to kick on from obviously what was a successful campaign last year where they stayed in the division and managed to mould a team despite that dreadful start. Steve Cooper, then, is apparently a little bit on edge. Uh, now we know that Forest are owned by a bit of a madman in Evangelos Maranakis, and he's not always been the most sensible decision-maker in his history of owning football clubs. Now I don't think any Forest fan would have anything bad to say about Cooper. I think if he left tomorrow, he would leave as pretty much a club hero for what he achieved. But I think there is a growing sense that maybe there's an inevitab- inevitability about his departure if results don't turn around. And a loss to Fulham tomorrow might well be a nail in that coffin.
1: Yeah, it's a tough one because Maranakis did the opposite to what everyone expected last season around this time of year as well, where there was some sort of rumours starting to swell that Cooper was on his way out. Forrest had obviously struggled at the start of the season, as you would have expected them to with the number of signings they made. And actually he went against type and decided to stick with him. And I for me, I think that's absolutely the the number one reason why they stayed up yeah. is because they kept Steve Cooper on this season. I think they probably, I think they were expecting to kick on. But again, when you look at the amount of business they did, they were always going to have, I think the same teething problems that they had last year. You're still trying to bed players in. You're still trying to keep players on side. If they're not getting the amount of football that they're expecting, They've been good, no, not really, but I I, I sort of I can see both sides of it because if they're to get rid of him, there's not really any danger in them going down for me this season, and you can maybe take a risk on a manager. But I think the flip side of it as well is that there is absolutely no harm in keeping Steve Cooper in charge for the rest of the season (laughs) because they will finish in a similar spot to they did last season and I don't really know what else they want right now but for us it's a great opportunity and as I said earlier I, I don't think they've really since they've come up they've not been good away from home they rely on that atmosphere and their home games to, to get them through matches and to pick up points it was last season I think one of my happiest moments at home it was against Forest because it was that day that day that I really realised that Fulham were a mid-table club like a comfortable mid-table club because we turned up, we won 2-0 without really hitting sort of third or fourth gear. And that's the sort of thing that we were doing last season. We just hit a level where like we are better than the teams below us. I think this will be more of a scrap. I think it'll be probably less of a good game of football. (laughs) I'm not expecting scintillating football. I think it will be bitty, dogged, and I think I think you've just got to play on the fact that the crowd aren't, aren't behind them at the moment. There's a sort of a, a poor feeling within the club and, and you've got to build on that. And we've got to make sure it doesn't happen to us because I think if Forrest score early, we know the atmosphere has not been great at Craven Cottage this season. We know that the fans aren't really at, at the levels they were last season. So I think we've got to take the game by the scruff of the neck. We've got to get out there and, and, and take the game to, to Forrest. But I think it will be a, a tough slog.
0: Yeah, I mean, Farrell moving onwards, we, we saw them lose to Everton obviously at home. Everton actually set up in a relatively similar way to what I expect Fulham to. Two wide players who are going to try and cut inside and make things happen in Dwight McNeil and, and Jack Harrison. Obviously, McNeil ended up getting the goal. They sort of all action 10 playing out there and James Garner tucking in behind him alongside Idrissa Ganagay. gay and a back four that basically maybe didn't quite as adventurous as Fulham's fullbacks, but it wasn't miles off kind of what we were expecting from them either. So when you put all of that together and you saw the way that Forrest really struggled to create chances, obviously they've got a few players missing. our knees out at the moment, Chris Wood, as you mentioned in part one, leading the line. Definitely not the same kind of player. Definitely not the kind of player that you expect to cause loads of trouble for Premier League defences at this point in his career. They still have a good midfield there, but generally, I've not been particularly impressed with what I've seen from Forest for for quite some time now. It's not been great, and at this point, it doesn't feel like they have an obvious solution to get themselves out of this rut.
2: Yeah, and you know, I'm totally in agreement with Dan in terms of like, you know, it's probably better to stick with the devil you know with Steve Cooper. We know he's a good manager, and he knows, you know, he knows this. This squad in and out, um, but I think there is enough about Fulham um, that can overcome this side. That's for sure. And when you think about Nottingham Forest' season last year, they obviously brought in Jesse Lingard at the time, and you know he he was firing on you know really good form and got him going. And you know he's no longer available to them, and they probably expected someone like Callum Hudson Odoi, who was Fulham's target in the year to sort of do the same, a similar sort of job as well but it hasn't worked for him so far yet this year saying that they still have the quality of morgan gibbs white there who you know as much as people Gafforda it is 40 million pound price tag we know what he's a top top quality player and um you know i would love to have a player like him um you know we we saw the best of him when he was coming up against a five percent michael hector in that game uh at, at Bramwell Lane a couple of years ago, but uh, you know it's going to be a tougher test for him this time around. But yeah, like I think I think Fulham have more than enough. Um, I think it is, as Dan again said last year, it was it's a real sort of like litmus test of of where Fulham are because this we're coming up against a Nottingham Forest team who are not on good form, who have the team on their back, and yes, it's going to be a bitty game, but are they going to show enough quality to? to get the win. I think Fulham can do. And I think Fulham are actually playing quite well. If we, if you just take, if we take that Liverpool game. Um, um, And I just feel like there is enough about this team that will, that will be able to do it. It's just the, how, how we go about it and what type of goals that we're going to aim for is, is anyone's guess. I just don't know. I don't think we're going to get much joy with Forrest sitting back and us trying to fire balls into the box, especially if they've got Willy Bolly and Murillo. Um, got, they're two big defenders. I don't think Raul Jimenez is going to get much joy trying to come up against them. We've got to try and find a way to unsettle that back line and create a bit of chaos so it falls to, falls to our, our attackers a bit more kinder or just have that little bit of magic, really. Um, but yeah, let's see. I, I am actually looking forward to a really, really good game on on Wednesday, I think it's. I think it is going to be
1: a real sort of test. As regardless, I think the one thing that I don't know if you agree, JC, but what's got Forest through in the games they've picked up points this season in general for me has been players who can produce moments. Just Stop you know, where they're what not we've been like to be honest. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I think this is they've got players within their squad. I think, as Faz said, you've got Morgan Gibbs-White in there. You've also got Anthony Alanga, who I think I like. He he sort of comes in and out of games, but he has the ability just in moments to make something happen. And I think that's a concern, is when you come up against teams who have the ability to do that, where Fulham could have 60% of the ball, but Anthony Alanga drifts in and and hits one into the top corner, and it's 1-0. I think the other concern I have is their height. I think they're, they're, a, they're a pretty tall team that we've got to make sure that we're switched on from, from set pieces. I think I can see us causing, being caused problems in those areas. So I think those, 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 in terms of what will happen on the pitch, I expect Fulham to be the better team. But because we've not been clinical this season, that's my concern is that you get undone by one moment. And I think that's what Forrest will be playing on.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think after the weekend, I said this after the Wolves game, but when we went to, well, you know, as we were getting ready for Wolves, I was saying like, I think, I don't think we're going to win this game in a way that last year, I think when we played Wolves at the Cottage, I was like, we'll win this game. And I feel better mm. about things after the weekend. I feel more like, oh, okay, I'm going to go on Wednesday and I think that Fulham, or I'm expecting Fulham to to win, or at least put in a performance that that, that gives the impression of being the dominant side. And so that changes things. I mean, let's just quickly go on to who you'd pick for your, your team selections. What changes would you make? Does Tom Kearney come back into this side after, obviously a brilliant home performance last time. Does William come back in? How does this set up for you, Farrell?
1: Um,
2: I think, yeah, absolutely. I would bring Kearney back in. Um, I... I mean, following on from the Pereira conversation that we had earlier, like, I don't think he's done enough on the ball to justify his selection, especially since that we are struggling to score a lot of goals. I know this is on the back of scoring th- three goals in the last two games. Um but six I goals in a creativity- week. For <laughs> I mean, it wasn't that long ago. We were six goals in a game pretty regularly, to be honest. Um <laughs> But yeah, I think, I think Kenny has just got so much quality on the ball to be able to unlock thing, unlock defenses. Um, you know, for the third goal yesterday, it's a lovely bit of like drop of the shoulder to sort of play off his right foot and then get a lovely ball to the back post. Um, I just don't think Andreas Pereira, as much as I do like him and I love his industry and I do think he's, he gives us enough productivity apart from his work rate. I just don't think he's doing. Enough productivity on the ball this year to justify a selection ahead of Tom Kearney at the moment. And I think that's the only real sort of standout thing that I would change from yesterday. I think everywhere else on the pitch, you could probably justify any other, any other selection. But the only other one, the only other one I would suggest, maybe if it wasn't Tom Kearney is maybe moving Iwobi into the mid, into the, um, into that 10 and then, um, having, um, William out, out on the left. That's the only other thing that I might suggest or even exchanging a Wobi for Harrison Reed instead and then having William out on the left just to give us a bit more sort of like drive through the midfield um, to sort of create some space where Forest were not wanting us to create space.
0: Yeah, I mean, that midfield that Forrest have is pretty strong, Dan. And, and look, it, it doesn't really matter who they play in it. Mangala's in there, Sangare's in there, Danilo's in there, Nico Dominguez is in there. It's a space on the pitch where I think that they're most stacked. And so I wonder if Fulham tried to either combat it or bypass it. And obviously those are very two, you know, two very different options. I like Iwobi wide. I think that was his best performance of the season so far, but I do much prefer him on the left rather than the right. I think it's very much, if he's not on the left wing. I think he should be central because you don't get quite the angles you want from him on the right. I mean, I'm bored and banging my head against the wall saying play Bobby. They could overread in the nine, but I, <laughs> I would still look to utilize that, especially is as you say, you know, these two center backs, Mario. I think is absolutely sensational. And obviously we're, we've seen a lot of him this season, but his ability to just step into a premier league defense and look like the best player on the pitch has been pretty remarkable for such a young player coming into a new league. Do you try and beat him in the air? I don't think we're going to, although to be fair, as you said. Raul had a good game up against Van Dijk, so the bar's pretty high right now. Um, but I just think that Bobby's movement might cause problems. And I wonder if actually that fluidity might be something for them look to look to attack.
1: I know you really want it, but it's not happening. I know. I just, it's just, it's, I, I I think, as I said this on the quick tick. I'm pretty confident that, that Raul over the past three games has sort of cemented himself as until January at least, our first choice striker. He's definitely I the think best Marco's, of a bad bunch. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I do believe so, and I've always said that if you have them at their best, our, our three strikers, you include Rodrigo Muniz, mm-hmm. and we haven't seen the best of any of them. I think Raúl at his best is the best of the three, but I, I think given how he's played, I, I can't imagine we'll see Marco do something radical like like move Bobby into the middle. I again, I Bobby's one of those players that he does seem to have a positive effect when he's on the pitch, yeah. just sometimes intangibly as well. In the same way that Awobi does, just something that he contributes seems to make us better. Where you bring him in, I think is tough. I don't, re- I don't mind the shout of seeing a coming into the ten, uh, Pereira dropping out, and you have Bobby and, and Harry Wilson playing because I want Harry Wilson to get a run sort of a, games. a run of games in. I, I really think he, he's, I think he deserves it. And I think it's the only way you get the best out of him. I think this constant sort of chopping and changing, him coming on as a sub, him starting, I don't think it's helping him. And I think he's doing enough at the moment to start consistently. I think he's our best option on the right flank at the moment. And the only other thing I think is because we discussed it earlier with Kenny Tete versus Timothy Castagna. I think in general, I think probably smart decision is is Castagna to, to keep Kenny fit. My worry is that he's probably that left blank for Forrest will probably be taken up by Alanga And that's someone that we want to keep quiet. And I entirely trust Kenny Tete to to keep Anthony Alanga quiet. Whereas Timothy Castagna, whilst has has barely put a foot wrong this season, he doesn't sort of stand out in the same way that Kenny Tete does. He doesn't sort of stand up and be counted. We know what we're getting from Kenny.
0: the best in the league, which therefore makes him immediately exactly. to any in that regard. I think so, yeah, I can, I can exactly. see where you're coming from. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that one might be rotated, but I, I think that's going to be a question of whether it, of, of fitness rather than any sort of form. Um, there's a couple of questions on X that I wanted to get to before we go. Um, and yeah, you know, there was one from Jim Farrell who said, can we just play like that on Wednesday? I suppose the, you know, we have kind of touched on it being a different game, but there's plenty of kind of vibe, I would suppose that that you could carry on and, and take into that game because Fulham obviously will be disappointed, but you should get to a training ground. And, you know, if Marco Silva is, has done the right thing after that game and his interviews suggest is exactly what he, he did after the game. you've got in there and been like, boys, that was an incredible performance. We've been incredibly unlucky in the way that that has fallen in the end. And we need to just carry that attitude and dynamism and drive into Wednesday we started obviously brilliantly against Wolves on Monday can we kind of keep that energy rolling
2: I think absolutely they can and um, I think that's testament to the management abilities of Marco Silva we've seen it time and time again where things might not go our way but you know he's such a sort of mr motivator himself that he'll get the players going regardless very rarely we see performances drop to a level that are just completely meek you know maybe the one off here and there but it's never really been a run of run of games really um and i think that is just how good marco silver it is at that and i think it actually might be a testament also to his man management abilities in this squad that we're talking about little little uh Little pieces of the jigsaw puzzle might be changing, whether it's Timothy Cassania or Kenny Tete or William or Iwobi on the left hand side or Kenny in the middle, these, all these little things here and there. But actually, when you think about it, regardless of who comes to this position, do we play, does, do we play any differently or does our performances change dramatically? You would probably argue no, which I think is actually a brilliant work by all the coaching staff there, we tend not to sort of change the system or the style of play. We look for different little things. Like for example, sometimes when we see Harry Harry Wilson on the right, we try and find that diagonal over the, over their, um, over their left back. Um, Whereas we don't tend to see that if maybe Bobby Deck or Dobby reads out on that right-hand side instead. So, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's a thing that they decided, okay, we're going we've gone with Kenny Tete against Liverpool but we've been working with Castagna for the Forest game it, and he knows he's starting that Forest game and we've sort of set up a bit differently. Maybe we won't be seeing uh, Castagna get bombing on past Harry Wilson or whoever it is on the route home side as much as Kenny Tete might be doing and might be covering off um, Alanga a bit more. But yeah, I think all in all, we can absolutely play with a lot of dynamism, come out the blocks firing and, you know, we... The first goal in this game probably will be quite vital. I think it will probably dictate how the rest of the game might actually play its course, really.
0: Yeah, 100%. 100%. Uh, all right, one for you, Cookie. Actually, two questions, but they're on the same point. And um, we have one from Opinions FC on Twitter, Marco Silver's Magic saying, home fans in the away end, tourist tickets need stamping out. And Ethan says something similar. He said, how are the club going to stop home fans getting into the away sections? Anfield was a library until the 86th minute yesterday and we still couldn't make any noise because of the amount of Liverpool fans in our section. Two people by me recorded most of the game on their phones. It's starting to become a bit of a common theme this, but as someone who was there, I thought you might just want a word on it.
1: It's the weirdest away end I've been in, I think, in in my whole time supporting Fulham. It was bizarre like like i mean large periods of complete silence and you try and break that up with something and fans are trying nothing nothing was gaining traction and i think it became apparent in moments when especially when liverpool got the winner that actually the reason was because the away end was flooded with liverpool fans and i think the, people may argue that this is taking it one sort of one step through the chain too far but i think this comes back to the club I think this is where they've got to be doing more for the core support of this club and, and realising the importance of these fans because fans bought tickets for this game. They got the tickets and then after buying tickets, the rain the train strikes came out. Now, at that point, I think Fulham as a club have got to do something to ensure these fans can get to the game. Right, the, the, These fans, you, you all you have to do is look at their loyalty points to understand how many games of football some of these people are going to find a way to help them get there. If that's putting on coaches, do it because these fans deserve it. We have watched some utter dross over the years, traveling up and down the country, watching this club. This is deserved, right? These, these fans who, who turn up to every single game, be that Bolton away midweek when we're down at the bottom of the championship, or be it Liverpool away on a Sunday, they're there. And, This is what happens if you don't provide them with ways to get there. And, you know, we're we're a fan base that's based in London. A lot of these people don't have cars. We know this is a thing. Like, we've spoken about it before. We're not actually like a a fan base that travels much by road. It's it's Train is a a thing that was relied on a lot. And the only reason I could get there is because I could drive. And these people then resort to try and find a way to sell on their ticket. And they, you know, yes, maybe they can control better whose hands they fall into. But ultimately, I think the buck stops with Fulham fans should have been given a way to get to the game yesterday and we would have seen a far better atmosphere because people can't make arrangements in a period of time in the same way that Fulham can how much does it cost Fulham to put on an extra three or four coaches and make it easier for fans to get to games they would never
2: do that they would never do that underneath under these current situation because it yeah I mean as you guys know that involves spending money and the thought of spending any money on the fan base that yeah, like in recent times, like we've seen some utter dross football, but not even long before that, the the very fabric, the very uh, existence of the club was threatened. And these, you know, a lot of the fans that would have gone have, are being, who fought to save the club and now have now been priced out and they just don't care anymore because they know that they know the club don't care about them. And that's when that disconnect has started to occur. We can actually see it with games like yesterday. We've seen it with, FA Cup games where you know thousands and thousands of fans are just not turning up to these games anymore, and I think it's just a real sort of disconnect that's occurred. And um, yeah, as we've talked about many, many times, many times before.
1: Yeah, it's a, a real frustration. Dom Betts wasn't there. <laughs> like like Dominie <laughs> Betts wasn't there, and and that was on a conscious decision because he couldn't be asked to work out how to get there. And he will have not, be, I mean, we know for sure he wasn't the only person who made that decision. And it's such a shame because actually, you know, you, 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 it's such a stretch to say, oh, if we, if that end was full of Fulham fans, we maybe would have got over the line. I'm not saying that, but I, I would have had a better day.
0: Yeah. It yeah. was actually what? a
1: lot of that time in that way. And I wasn't having fun because there was nothing happening. Yeah. I mean, if, if you go back
2: before to under the, under the Ed era, there was one particular game. It was a Wednesday, I think. No, no, no. Sorry. It was a Saturday game and it was home to Blackburn and it got cooled off with like 20 minutes to go because of, because of frost. Um, and you don't get many of those anymore, but they, the leadership decided they felt so bad for the Blackburn fans that the club, Fulham Football Club, play, paid for the, Coaches um, for the Blackburn fans to come down for the for the for the rearranged fixture on a Wednesday night. Now, you know, Blackburn went on to win that game, and you could probably argue it's because there was many more Blackburn fans that that were there in attendance. But I like I like the club doing those things for the football community. Um, but the thought of Fulham right now doing it for their own fans is probably so far away from their thoughts. You know, they're still just thinking about. General admission seats in the Riverside stand, which by the way, if you look at Premium Match days, Premium Match Day uh seating the adverts, it buying a ticket premium match day in the riverside gives you access to the concourse before the game. That's one of the perks. Oh, isn't that lovely of them?
0: <laughs> That's kind. That's nice of them. Good stuff, Philip. Grateful, grateful as ever. Um, right, last one from a friend of the pod, Rick Cardis, who says a question. In honour of Shane McGowan, RIP, which of his songs best captures Fulham's season so far? He says, mine is a play on a song, Serbian song of the damned, mostly for the title, but the upbeat ending foreshadows a strong finish to our season. I think after the weekend, I might go with if I should fall from grace with God, um, because at times it felt like we've been abandoned by higher powers this season, not just at our own club, um, but also Did you- in the footballing gods <laughs> as a whole.
2: Did you did you message Rick Carter beforehand, going like, "Oh, I have the perfect question for me. Could you just ask this? Could you ask Jack Collins <laughs> no, this actually, question?"
0: Actually, Sammy Sammy put this on Twitter, so actually, it's just come straight back to that. Thank you very much. Um, but uh, but it was a, it was a nice one to be able to to roll in. Um, but yes, it, it does feel at, at times like it's just one of those, and there's not much we can do about things. Maybe just a rainy night in Soho does the job for us here, but. For now, I think that's probably all we've got time for. So, all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much Mr. Dan Cook.
1: Thanks, JC. I, I, I feel good after that, actually.
0: Feel better. Feel better. Thank you very much to Mr. Farrell Monk.
2: Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, everyone. It's been a real cathartic experience as usual. And we go on to Wednesday. Lovely stub off the Fulham. Up
0: the Fulham. I've been Jack Collins. This has been the Fulhamish podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back on a Thursday looking back. At that Wolves game, and of course, ahead to the weekend. So we will see you then. But for now, take it easy. You whites.